Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. This is God's word for us today. Lord Jesus, help us today not to push our way to the front, but to willingly fall in behind you that we might see, hear and learn from you and your divine wisdom. Keep in our sights the fact that you are Lord and King and that we can trust you and your words in every circumstance of life. Soften our hardened hearts. Smash down the barriers that we hide behind and look to for self-preservation. Transform and renew our thinking and our actions by your Holy Spirit as we listen to your voice today and protect us and all our relationships from spiritual attack. We ask all these things in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. What about seven times like Peter asked Jesus? Fool me seven times, forget it. Your history, done. This fool me once idiom, it rolls right off the tongue. It's, it's sweet, it's easy. It's even easier to put to work in your life, isn't it? When someone upsets you a few times, you just write them off. It's the easy solution. It's even easier to justify because most of the time you can make quite easily a strong enough case that others will affirm your decision. You might have a bit more trouble justifying your case to Jesus today. And this might even hit your conscience like a brick, I'm not sure. But Jesus says, you're never finished forgiving offenders, ever. And what flows out of the Gospel today is that you should never want to be finished forgiving people. You're never finished forgiving offenders, not ever. And what flows out today is that you should never want to be finished forgiving people. Now that's a challenge that I understand may come to some people as a very hard word. In Matthew 18, Jesus says that a certain servant had racked up a debt equivalent to thousands of lifetimes worth of wages. How much? Well, this servant in our economy had a personal debt to his master equivalent to a a lazy $6 billion or so, give or take. Now, there was no way that that servant could repay that debt and that is exactly the point, friends. The credit card is totally maxed out with no possible way of paying it back. And the issue for the servant in Jesus' story is that the king isn't interested in some kind of payment plan back to financial freedom. No thanks. The account needs to be settled now, today. What do you do? Six billion dollars. The repayments on that, I think, would be about 50 million dollars a month. I couldn't pay that back. What do you do? So at this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begs, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Honestly, can that be right? The king cancelled what would be in today's terms a $6 billion debt. Why? Because he felt for the servant cancelled it, let him go. The king didn't even sell the servant and his family as slaves 
as a kind of goodwill gesture, but instead forgave the debt and sent him away. How would you be feeling if that were you? If your debts were simply cancelled, if the credit cards paid off and you were sent on your way, how would you react? That might be enough to make me dance publicly. How would you feel? Would you be happy? Yeah? Would you be singing a new song filled with joy? You don't know, do you? You're just kind of looking at me. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't allude to the servant's feelings about his newfound financial freedom except to say that his first order of business as he left the king's palace was not to rejoice or to draw others into his joy, not to praise the king's generosity and the goodness in his life, but to go hunting for someone who owed him a much, much smaller debt. Six billion wiped off his bottom line moments before and here he is now choking someone to death because of a debt worth a few thousand dollars choking the life out of him. Do you think this unmerciful servant stopped to consider the magnitude of what he'd received from the king? No way. Do you think this unmerciful servant's heart was filled with gratitude and joy? Or had he been displaying some hollow facade to the king when he begged for mercy? because he seems completely unaffected by the sheer greatness of what he's received. And I say that because he's got someone by the throat choking the life out of them. Jesus isn't talking about financial debts today, is he? No, he's talking about the kind of debt we pray about in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Today Jesus is making a very big point. The unmerciful servant in the story is a stand-in. It's an actor. It's a stand-in for a real person. He's a stand-in for you and I include myself in that. Jesus is saying that your sins have maxed out your card. You have a debt of sin that you could never ever repay that leaves you in a very, very unfavourable position before your king who requires justice. The wages of sin is what? Psalm 49 says, No man can redeem the life of another or give God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. So at great cost to the king, your massive and incalculable debt has been paid by God. God doesn't say to you, How many times have you come here for forgiveness? You've exhausted your credit. Go home. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you've exhausted my patience coming to me over and over again. He doesn't wrap his holy hand around your neck and choke the life out of you. No, he says, I forgive you all your sins. And so you leave here this morning debt free. Your sins are as far from you as east is from west. The books are closed, the debt is paid, the slate is wiped clean, not with gold or silver or money or a higher form of credit, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, as the old catechism says. God doesn't work in your life according to fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me principles. 
God doesn't wipe you as a friend. He doesn't disown you as a child, ever. He doesn't pretend you don't exist because you repeatedly come back to him saying, I'm sorry, I stuffed up, Lord. Begging for forgiveness, begging for renewal, begging for a fresh start again. He doesn't keep score of wrongs so that he can throw them back in your face to humiliate you or to kick you while you're down. People do that. God doesn't do that. Instead, he sees your life through the lens of the cross of Christ and he says, I forgive you. I love you. I've paid that massive debt with the life of my only son. Now you go in peace. As children of God, how will you respond to the immeasurable grace that you've received? Do you leave here today and continue to relish the thought of metaphorically choking someone in your life that you just can't forgive? Do you continue to play out an argument or an event in your mind's eye over and over again, each time treasuring the look on your opponent's face as you deliver that final soul-crushing word that wipes them out, flattens them. You see the defeat. Jesus says that unmerciful hearts like these will receive the same response from God. In other words, if you won't forgive others out of the abundance that you have received, neither will God forgive your sins. And when this happens, you show that your heart is actually hard and very, very cold. Forgiveness isn't easy, the cross says so. We have quite a confronting cross in our church. But the refusal to forgive and share what you've been given by God angers him. That's a blatant misuse of your freedom in Jesus which lands you in prison and you know that because when you refuse to forgive, you're the one who ends up in your own solitary confinement. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice, that evil intent. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. You see, forgiveness is the opposite of keeping score of sins or replaying things over and over again in your mind. To forgive means to forego the right to get even. It means tearing up the scorecard. It means not keeping a permanent record of past wrongs that, keep you, that you keep for another day or another argument. It means not counting people's sins against them in your hearts and in your minds. But hear this, forgiveness doesn't mean that there won't be any consequences flowing out of sinful actions. It doesn't mean that. Words spoken in anger or malice wound people and cause significant, great pain. What forgiveness does is releases a person from the guilt of what they've done. But it takes time and nurturing love for the wounds to heal. So you can forgive a person for committing adultery, but that person will need to build trust again, which will take time and investment in the relationship. There are consequences. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. 
for Christians who treasure the forgiveness that God has poured into their hearts and lives in Christ Jesus, that statement makes no sense. In fact, it's nonsense. Not even seven times is enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ breathes life and joy into a believer. So every time they open the word, they're reminded afresh that their debt has been paid in full by the king in excess of six billion, wiped off the books and replaced with the words, paid in full by Christ Jesus. And that doesn't leave them unaffected, friends. It doesn't. It fills their hearts with delight and rejoicing but can't help to draw others in and include them in that. They don't want to see people suffering under the burden and weight of sin when they've been forgiven so great a debt themselves. Is that where you're at today? Or do you need to do business with God and stop grieving the Holy Spirit? Do you leave here having been forgiven so great a debt that you want to share the same forgiveness with others? Will you tear up the scorecard and stop tallying the sins of other people? When you've been hurt, will you quit saying, that's okay? Don't say that's okay when someone sinned against you. It's not okay. If it were okay, you wouldn't be hurt and wounded. When you're upset and someone comes to you and they say, I'm sorry, give them the greatest gift that you can give them. Don't say, that's okay. Say, I forgive you. Husbands and wives, please do that. Use those words, I forgive you. It's not okay. If it was okay, you wouldn't have been hurt. I forgive you, that's a gift. Do it with your kids too. And finally, when you find yourself feeling like that unmerciful servant, which you will, and you want to wrap your hands around another person's neck, come back to the cross. Look again at the lengths that God went to in order to cancel your debt of sin. Focus on it, meditate it, breathe it in, in the Word. And fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus, the Lord and Saviour. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for hard words. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as we listen to you. Please move us from darkness into your light. Please work on our hearts, soften them. Where there is unforgiveness, bitterness, malice, as we see your Son crucified for us, that we would be able to move to extending that grace to other people in our lives. We love because you first loved us and gave yourself up for us on the cross. Fill us with your Holy Spirit now as we go out into our weeks that we would exercise our faith and forgiveness for other people. In Jesus' name.
Amen.